Hello and welcome to On Leading with Greatness. I'm Jim Salvucci of Guidance for Greatness. This week's installment, Your Big Crisis is Really a Bit of a Problem. There cannot be a crisis next week. My schedule is already full. Henry Kissinger Last week I delved into the corporate culture of crisis, shedding light on its high costs and offering some strategies to break free from the grip of this insidious mindset. If you missed that, the article is entitled, An Urgent Truth You Must Learn Right Now. Let's dig a little more deeply into crisis culture, starting with the word itself. Crisis sounds pretty intimidating, right? In defining it, Merriam-Webster tosses around such phrases as turning point, proximal attack of pain, and radical change. No wonder so many people pretend to be in perpetual crisis. If you're regularly willing to take on a proximal attack of pain, you must be a certified badass. But what if we strip away all that apparatus of doom, the paroxysm, the radicalism, the urgency? What's left? The problem. A crisis is nothing more than a supersized problem served up with a generous side of urgency. So even the most colossal crisis is, at its core, just a problem. And one thing we know about problems is that problems tend to have solutions. As I discussed last week, many workplace crises are in fact nothing more than routine tasks gussied up to seem more catastrophic. In other words, mere problems of the moment. So let's try a thought experiment. What if we started viewing crises, all crises, real and imagined, as camouflaged and eminently solvable problems? What if we faced them with clarity? What would happen then? Would all these crises appear so insurmountable? Sure, we might not seem as bad as for taking them on, but isn't that a small price to pay for behaving rationally? I want to share a little anecdote, the origin story of my healthier mindset, if you will. Picture me as a brand new dean at a small university, younger, much thinner, trying on different personas like I did hats. Eventually, I fell into mimicking my more experienced fellow deans who always seemed to be in a tizzy. And sure enough, I was tizzying right along with them. Then, one spring morning, an epiphany altered my trajectory and put me on a path to discovering the persona that would fit me best. Me, just being me. That day, I had a breakfast meeting with an industry advisory board for one of my departments. My role? Purely ceremonial. I chit-chat, coo over the continental breakfast spread, try to look dapper in my suit, shake some hands, and say a few welcoming words. No big deal. Then I was to exit gracefully so that the chair of the department could run her meeting. Simple enough. But when I had done my part, I excused myself by declaring dramatically, as I was wont, I'd love to stay, but I have a fire to put out. A fire? To put out? Here, all the while, as we shared pleasantries over pastry and stale coffee, there was some conflagration raging that only I could extinguish. The room chuckled and nodded empathetically as I slipped out the door. Hustling across the campus to my office, I started to think about what lay ahead. What was this inferno I had to battle? What impending disaster loomed? 
It was just a phone call. That was it. I had to make a call to someone I didn't feel like speaking to. Unpleasant, yes, but nothing urgent. Nothing even important, but referring to it as a fire sure made me feel like I was. That was the moment it hit me. I was a pretender, and so were my crisis-addicted peers. We made every little setback into a big deal. No time to talk, we'd say. I have so much to do. We just had to get some budget numbers together. Worse still, I realized that my petty crisis mongering had started trickling down to the people I led. They were speaking the same way. I then understood that most of our crises were really just overblown tasks and solvable problems ginned up to look significant. And aside from all the psychodrama, one clear consequence was that the more we treated our every problem like a crisis, the less we actually resolved it. You simply can't solve a problem properly if you regard it as a crisis. Of course, we then had to sweep some problems under the rug, particularly the ones we generated ourselves. Consequently, these largely predictable and utterly avoidable problems left unchecked often metastasized into full-blown crises, real ones. See how self-perpetuating the crisis industrial complex can be? And then there's the blame game. When you turn everything into a crisis, someone else has to take the fall. Someone must have been responsible for getting us to this turning point. That's the part I could never stomach. Unfortunately, my boss, too, was addicted to crises, and in his rather inventive brain, innocent misunderstandings transmogrified into willful acts of defiance, and honest errors became emblems of gross incompetence. Sometimes, he whipped his fevered fantasies into full-blown accusations of insubordination and rebellion, complete with threats of firing. His was a vicious paranoia that solved nothing and kept everyone in eggshells, forcing me to expend near constant effort to protect my team and myself and thereby creating even more problems. Here's a pro tip. The more you are pointing fingers, the less you are solving problems. Lastly, crisis enthusiasts tend to build elaborate, redundant, and utterly unworkable systems to prevent imagined disasters. It should be obvious, but if you are fixated on the fictional future, you are ignoring the actual problem right in front of your face. Hypercrisis planning is a form of problem avoidance. In fact, all crisis mongering is a form of reality avoidance. Existing in a crisis bubble insulates you from the challenge of facing real problems and taking responsibility. It's never your fault. You are somehow always the hapless victim of every crisis, even the ones you caused or manufactured yourself, and that stance only foments more crises. You can start by calling it out in yourself, and then maybe in others if they'll hear you. From there, pinpoint the actual problem at the core of your faux crisis. Once you see it, it often becomes exceedingly manageable. So solve for that problem ignoring the lure of psychodrama. Otherwise, you will remain mired in a perpetual feedback loop of crises. Simply put, if you can identify and solve problems without all the emotional nonsense, you can break free from crisis culture. And doing so is imperative if you and your organization are to succeed. Here's to facing problems honestly, as the solvable challenges they are. How often do you feel you face crises? 
How can you be sure they are not just solvable problems? Great leaders must know the difference between confronting crises and solving problems, and I can help. If you want to learn more about how to become a great leader in this world of bad bosses, visit guidanceforgreatness.com. Join the conversation by leaving a comment and leave a like or review. Please share this post on social media and be sure to subscribe to have on Leading with Greatness sent weekly to your inbox. I look forward to hearing from you.